don't know this, then you're behind the times. The only metric that matters is convenience. Rules apply to you. Suddenly you're an advertiser. This is Social Minds, the UK's first dedicated social media marketing podcast brought to you by Social Chain. I'm Theo. And I'm Eve. And each week we'll be joined by a host of progressive minds to learn the unique and innovative ways that social media is being used around the world. On this podcast, we'll be discussing the latest developments across social and what they mean for us all. And if you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe to get new episodes every week. This week on Social Minds. I mean, it's common sense, isn't it? If you show someone what they want, when they want to see it, it's going to work. We were joined by Sam Jones, who is previously the global brand manager at Red Bull, but who's since left to found his own company called Generate. Now, Generate is a web browser extension that lets users earn money from the ads that they see online. According to Sam, the advertising industry is definitely ripe for change. And we've seen that with user data scandals and especially Cambridge Analytica which is beginning to see consumers wake up more to the power of their data. Think about the price that we're paying as individuals around our privacy. Think about the price that we're paying as a community around teen depression. And think about the price we're paying as citizens about the fact that our elections have potentially been contaminated. All this and more coming up. Are we on the cusp of a civil revolution in advertising? So firstly, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Um, and I would say yes. Yes, in the sense that a change is coming. I mean, we all know that the world is changing. We all know that consumers are changing. If we look at 16 to 30-year-olds in particular um, and how they consume media and how they interact with it, it's evident that things are changing. You just need to walk into any agency to hear marketers blaming Gen Z's shrinking attention span. It's the reason for why their campaign didn't perform. Mm. But you know what? That excuse is Bullshit. There's nothing wrong with people's attention spans. And you can look at any myriad of stats to see this, from time spent gaming through to day-long Netflix binges. Their campaign is shit. That's the real answer. Um, so, I mean, when we look on the whole, yeah, there are big changes coming, both in consumers and also in how people's attention is shifting across different media platforms and being used in different ways. Mm. What has led to this uh, such an opposition to advertising in, in particular, whenever we talk about shrinking attention spans, like you said, we talk about advertising and ads are irrelevant and they're annoying and they're this and they're that. What's the... Yeah, what, what do you think is the reason? If it's not shrinking attention spans, why are uh, campaigns falling short? Why are users switching off? So, I mean, I think what's really interesting is let's start by looking at some of the facts and the fact that right now, 650 million people in the world are blocking ads. And I'm sure you guys are familiar with ad blockers. It's a little browser extension yeah. you add, free of charge, it removes all advertising. So in other words, 650 million people around the world have said, I'm fed up with the ads that I see and I want them removed uh, from my desktop and from my computer. This is increasing at a rate of 27% year on year. And as a result, more than $41 billion of advertising was blocked last mm. year. It's a big problem getting bigger, and yet the industry turns its back. Everyone ignores it. It no longer pops up in discussions at Cannes or at the festivals because no one's really got a solution. And you know what I think? What I believe is that people need more choice and people need more control. And if we think holistically about what's happened over the last 12 months, this time last year, March 2017, sorry, 2018, um, the Cambridge Analytica scandal was kicking off. 
And this was the first spike that made people start to realize and think, oh, maybe my data is valuable. Maybe there's something there. And I'm not sure I like what Facebook are doing with it. Secondly, if we look, we can see that Germany took Facebook to court in the first antitrust case. We can look to the states and see that they asked the FBI to start investigating media buying practices. We can look to Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple. And he said he stood up in front of European court and said that people's data is being weaponized against them with military precision. In the industry, we know that a change is coming, mm. but it hasn't quite reached consumers yet. But what we've seen so far is that people's awareness is starting to increase about the fact that, oh, maybe my data is valuable. Maybe there's things that we can do. And I believe the way to re-engage people is to give them choice and give them the ability to monetize their data. So in other words, if you are currently blocking ads, but you want to be engaged in this ecosystem, you maybe there's an argument to say that mm. you should get something back. So you think people are switching off because they've become aware of the fact that they're being used in some way? So I think that it's prevalent throughout the industry, yeah. um, definitely. Whether that's a key trigger that people are switching off, I'm not sure. But whether it can be used to switch people back on, mm. I mean, that's still yet to be shown. Yeah, of course. Because what interests me with this as well is... We've, we've gotten to a point now where, okay, you've got ad blockers, but there are websites that obviously actively tell you to turn your ad blocker on mm. if you want this content. And you, you some, it's sometimes a bit of pill to swallow, isn't it? You sort of go away from that and think a bit like, that's a bit kind of, you know, yeah. forceful. There's no, like you said, there's no, there's no value exchange there. It's just like, no nope, content blocked, please change this. Mm, mm. Totally. I mean, I think uh, from a consumer's perspective, you can see in the numbers that 76% of people that hit an ad block wall, so when they're asked to turn off their ad blocker to access a site, they end up hitting the back button and going to the next link mm. down. But I think what's really interesting if, is if we look at some of the arguments that people make. So I personally hate it when people say, oh, but I get it for free as a justification for why a service should be able to access your data and sell it. Because think about it. Think about the price that we're paying as individuals around our privacy. Think about the price that we're paying as a community around teen depression. And think about the price we're paying as citizens about the fact that our elections have potentially been contaminated. I mean, it doesn't quite seem so free anymore, does it? A bit of a higher price. There's a big, I like the idea of this, uh, well, it's the best way of sort of showing it because like you said, consumers aren't aware how much their data is worth, but they're also not aware of how much they sort of, now, think of it as, as, as almost like, you know, you've got a hole in your pocket with, with a bunch of coins and you're just dropping coins everywhere. You know, that's, there's these yeah, cues, that's these data analogy, cues Theo, that you're I dropping, like that. It, aren't they? Sort of, uh, <laughs> you have nailed it, You've nailed it. Um, so, I mean, just to segue slightly in, what we've built with Generate is essentially something where we reach out and we say, hey, Theo, you are valuable. Your attention is valuable. And guess what? Advertisers are paying to show you ads and they pay more to show you what you're interested in. So ultimately, what we've done to try and bring people back into the advertising ecosystem, so to touch on this question, why are people fed up, is we've built a free browser extension where anyone can install it, they tell us what they're interested in, and then anywhere they go online, they see ads that relate to that, and guess what? They get the money that the advertiser has paid to show them that ad. And what we're seeing so far in these early days is that 91% of our users were previously blocking ads. So in other words, we're re-engaging them and bringing them back into this mm -hmm. ecosystem. So we're pretty excited about it, and we feel like there's something there, especially yeah. because it's in keeping and in theme with enabling people to have more control over their data and over their information and over what they see. So I'm pro-choice, really. I think everyone should have the choice 
to do what they want. Yeah, definitely. And I know Generate especially is um, display ads focused, but just touching back on a point that you made about attention spans, I have to challenge that slightly and think that attention spans are dwindling. And then there's things like um, like branded content campaigns, which, you know, you can't block with ads, um, you know, where people have seen quicker drop off with those as well, which can only come from a result of, you know, it hasn't captured their attention for by a certain time. I mean, I think that the creative is always the variable of success. If you do something really fucking powerful, if you can move someone to feel something, then you've got a shot at holding their attention. Mm. If not, then you're going to lose them. So, I mean, I don't think it's that people's attention spans are getting shorter. I think it's that they've got more choice now to keep flicking through the feed or to mm. stay on that. And I tell you what, I'll give you an example of something where I see the world moving to as well separate to generate but related very much to advertising um, as an example of something really fucking cool. And that is two weeks ago, did you guys see uh, what Fortnite did by creating the world's biggest ever festival? Are you familiar with that? I saw this, yes. Oh my God. So for anyone that doesn't know, it's the world's largest virtual festival ever. 10.7 million people attended it and Marshmello performed, the DJ. Ultimately, let's look at some of these stats. The 10-minute recap video hit 27 million views on YouTube within one week. Marshmello's personal YouTube views increased by 100 million within one week. They sold merchandising and skins off the back of this. So there's no secret, this was an advertising play. It was to further their agenda of increasing sales. Mm. And oh my God, this is outstanding. (laughs) This will change things. I mean, I personally can't wait to go to the virtual Glastonbury. Those yeah. tickets sell out anyway. This is anyway. what fire festivals <laughs> should have been. Oh, fire. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but to come back to your point, yeah, I believe that people need to do interesting things to mm. capture attention. Do I think that display is the wrong format for that? Absolutely not. Do I think that brands need to do things that reach out and touch people to capture attention? Yes. Cool. One question I want to ask you, uh, Sam, is that... I mean, if, if I use myself as a case study and I'll sort of, you know, tell an advertiser through Generate, say my preferences and me being, you know, human, I'm going to say, oh, this is the best possible version of myself. You know, I'm into fast cars and I like football and I like this and I like that. And I don't care about FMCG, cornflakes and all the rest of it. How do you sort of uh, interpret that issue? Because we obviously know that what people say they like and what they actually like is two yeah. different things, aren't they? Can be different totally. So, I mean, if we look at it from a business perspective, really the question is, what is there currently and what is there that we can improve on? So right now in a post-GDPR world, if you are selling display advertising space, then you have very limited first-party data. For us at Generate, we're on the side of the user. We want the user to be empowered to have control over what they see and to be able to monetize their data and get something back in return. Mm-hmm. So what we say to them very transparently is, guys, tell us what you're interested in. We're going to show you things that relate to those interests and in return you're going to be rewarded straight back. So what that means, Theo, is we're at least basing it on the first party data, the info the users told us. Mm. Yeah, it might be wrong, but it's probably going to be infinitely better than no data at all. And again, we can do interesting things on top of this to help us improve that um, and learn and do more and be better. But really, I think the core is we're on the side of the user and that seems to align with the advertiser's interests and work Mm. on the whole as well. Have you got any figures on how... um they're running for brands at the moment in terms of results compared to standard display ads. 
Totally. So we've done some case studies and we can see, I mean, it's common sense, isn't it? If you show someone what they want, when they want to see it, it's going to work. Mm. And we've seen that with 7.6 times higher click-through rates, with an increase in the propensity to purchase, and with all sorts of nice mind-boggling stats that we can throw out. But ultimately, it just makes sense. And mm. the metrics reflect that. On the making sense, I've actually found a, a stat the other day that I wanted to touch on, and, that, and I doubt you'll be surprised by this, but it was that 14% of consumers, only 14% of consumers believe that marketers target their move ads at the right time. So the fact that they're using this language that there is a right moment is definitely as well, I yeah. think, opened our eyes to this whole idea of micro-targeting. If I feel like this and I'm in the mood for this, then, oh, yeah, definitely show me an ad related yeah. to that because that's what I'm looking for at that time. Totally right. Totally agree with you. I mean, I think what's interesting is we all know it and every marketer knows it. You're sitting in your agency or behind your brand or behind a desk and you know that marketing is common sense. And the reason that things go wrong is when you don't follow your gut and you try to over-engineer it and someone mm -hmm. has baffled you with CPMs or DSPs or SSPs <laughs> or, or any other acronym and you end up following something that you don't quite feel is right. And that is always when things fall apart. Yeah. I think if you look at things through the eyes of a consumer, if you say, will this creative, which is ultimately just a message or a video or an audio piece or whatever, will this creative make someone care? Um, and is the format in which we're showing it to them right? Does this marry? And can we time it to show it to the correct person? Mm -hmm. If those three things work, your campaign is going to work. And as you guys know, the job of a marketeer very simply is A, to understand who your audience is, so the insights. B, based on that, to understand where they spend their time and attention, both digitally and physically, and see to deliver the message to them. Mm. And if you're really smart, you're ensuring that you optimize when you look at the cost of these different channels, you optimize towards the area where their attention is undervalued and not overvalued. Mm. And really, that's all marketing is. It's not hard, but yeah. people make it seem so much harder because it's usually <laughs> in their best interest to create a murky world out there. Yeah, I, want, I want to bring up that point, Sam, because I'm really, really glad you said that, because obviously, you know, research and data plays a big part and where it does. But you very much then fall down on the side of common sense because it seems to me that, you know, in more sort of candid, you know, not candid, but more sort of hidden ways, common sense is getting a bit of a bad rep at times in marketing. And then you've got one school of thought that says, oh, you can't just be a marketer by trusting your gut. And then you've got one sense of saying, of course you can. I mean, I think it depends who the individual is. And there's no black and white, there's no right and yeah, wrong. Yeah, some people don't have a lot of common sense. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but I, mean, I know, I said it. For sure you should be data-driven. <laughs> for sure you should use insights. But if I think of some of the work that I did previously when I was part of Red Bull's global marketing team, I think one of the reasons that Red Bull created and still do create really powerful campaigns is because they follow what they believe will work. And mm. if the metric shows you something different, sometimes you need to have the balls to say, you know what, we're going to put this out and we're going to see what the world says. And very often, those marketing insights that you get back, especially if it's from some test or study, don't align with the real world reaction. Yeah. Um, and I would always encourage people to have some balls and to follow their gut and to try new things. Because one thing's for sure, if you're doing what everyone else is doing, you're not going to stand out, you're not going to succeed, and you're mm. not going to grab that attention that we're talking about. Yeah, well, of course, you have a very rich history uh, of marketing at Red Bull. I'm, I'm curious, was it something uh, along the lines of your experience in Red Bull that made you want to start Generate? 
What what made you think? Wait a minute, something in advertising's not quite matching up to no, what I thought it was going to be. Line. Yeah, like totally. So I mean, I was at Red Bull for five years as part of the global marketing team. Ultimately, in the role of a global brand manager, so I was responsible for working on around about one third of the advertising that went out worldwide, and that included everything from TV to radio to print to digital, out of home, virtual reality, etc. And it was amazing. I mean, for a marketer, what a brand to work for! Yeah, Incredible fun. And, but what I noticed, to your point, Eve, is very simply, it felt like people were becoming fed up with the amount of ads we were showing them. And I saw this clear as day through those ads, ad blocking statistics that we already talked about. And in combination with that, when I thought about um, GDPR that was coming in May 25th last year, I had the conviction and belief that this would start um, the very early kind of seed of people to begin thinking that their data was valuable and that things can mm. be different. So we founded Generate pre-GDPR 14, 15 months ago now in order to address this and in order to give people a choice. So to answer your question, yeah, absolutely. It came from the insights that I learned at Red Bull, having this holistic vision over the industry and thinking, you know what? I think it's time to do things differently. Yes, yeah, a gap in the market. Why, why do you think it is that people have no idea as to what first of all what data everyone has on them and how valuable it is because we've we've had this conversation before Theo but when when I speak to someone outside of the industry you forget that they aren't privy to the same knowledge that we are mm. and they'll mm. hear the word your data and think okay they're talking about my name my address my contacts maybe payment information but they have no status. idea. Exactly. They have no <laughs> Cause, idea. Because I've exactly. told Facebook it 20 years it's, ago. It's those breadcrumbs. <laughs> I like your coin analogy, Theo, but I think what um, what Mark Zuckerberg and that gang used to do anyway, refer to it as, was mouse droppings. So people will scuttle mm. along the internet and mm. leave mouse droppings wherever they go. Mm. But people, why, why don't... Um, people understand what's happening there. Mouse droppings, I mean, that would fit their narrative, wouldn't it? Because who wants to keep hold of mouse droppings? No one. But you know what you're really <laughs> leaving? It's all thought through. What you're really leaving is pieces of yourself. That's mm. what's happening. Every site you go to, every time someone drops a tracker, drops a cookie, drops something, it's a piece of yourself that's being scooped up, taken and resold mm. elsewhere. Mm. So to answer your question, why aren't people privy to this information right now? Because no one's shone a spotlight on it. Mm. What we have seen though, and we started the podcast with, is there's been a shift in the industry side at least where we all know that this information is valuable we have done for years but what's really exciting is i believe within the next six to twelve months consumers will start to know this too and the way it's going to come out is there will be more scandals like we've seen last year mm. there'll be more high profile cases and there'll be brands that move into the space who take it as their job to educate people mm -hmm. and generate is one of those brands and right now we're amongst the only brand in the world that's consumer facing and telling people eve Theo, you're valuable, and we're going to keep doing that, and we aim to create this movement. Mm. Um, so I see it coming. I see it Do coming. Do you think people will be more angry or less angry when they find out the extent of uh, the data that they're giving away? Because if obviously if they think of it as like things like your name and name and your contacts and your address – that's maybe bad enough, but then when it's like, hey, it's actually a lot more intimate than that. I mean, I believe in transparency. So whether people will be more annoyed or less annoyed, I mean, we'll see. I would mm. assume more upset. But the reality is, I believe people should be told about this. I believe they should know about this, and I believe they should have a choice whether to engage with it, whether to disengage with it, or whether to do something about it. Mm. And as long as we're transparent, that's totally fine for me. Mm. But I mean, I'll give you a really nice example. Just last week, Zuckerberg released this 
3,200 word essay about how important privacy is to Facebook. Did you guys see this? Yes. Got all of the industry headlines. (laughs) So he described Facebook as a town square. That's literally the words he used. But you know what? It's not. It's a company that brought in more than $55 billion last year with a 45% profit margin. And it's done so by commoditizing your privacy. Those are the facts. So now after a year of scandals and immense pressure, he believes that privacy is important Oh, gee, thanks, Mark. <laughs> I mean, and then you know what's really interesting? He used this essay to shift the narrative. And again, he, he was really focusing on end to end encryption about WhatsApp. But you know what? Privacy is not just about end to end encryption, which is really keeping secrets. Instead, it's about how information flows and shapes us as a society. And it's about what we say to whom and why. And that's a function of the context. So, social networks change that context. And in doing so, they change the nature of, mm. of privacy in ways which are both good and bad. So, if we look at 2016 with Russia, uh, Russia using Facebook to sway the US election, this is a consequence of the way that Facebook has diminished privacy, it's nothing to do with a failure of end-to-end encryption. Mm. So, I mean, it's really interesting. When you take a step back and you just say, oh, how are people in these positions of power confronting the situation and what's the narrative they're telling? And for me, I think it's very transparent um, that it's still not in the user's best interest. No, and they always have a way of switching the narrative, I think onto the user so that we're part of the problem as well. Absolutely. I mean, you didn't see him throw his hands up and say, hey, we're selling you, you're the product, and these are the reasons why. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, Mentioned Tan Square. It's almost a like Tan Square Monte Carlo, maybe, where the pavements are paid with gold for the sort of money you make from, obviously, these sorts of things. Yeah. Interesting. Um, as, on the back of Generators, one of the trends, do you see... As well as people watching the ads that they're going to watch, do you think people will then begin to scout out more ads and visit more pages because there's that monetary reward for doing so? I mean, obviously, that's the best case scenario because more ads get seen. So the way that Generate works really, really simply is you install us on your browser and then any website you go to in the normal space that you would have seen a banner ad, you still see an ad, but it's one that we've provided and that is targeted to you. So it's not the case that by default people are seeing more ads. We get rid of all of the pop-ups, anything intrusive, all of the rubbish. It's the case that we sit subtly in the background and it's just on those sites you're going to that's where we're placing the ads for the user. So, of course, on the back of that, and um, we do have really, really sophisticated systems that ensure that people aren't trying to gamify it. We yeah. ensure that we've got 100% real people, zero bots, um, and we keep a really close eye on this. Um, so to answer your question, Theo, right now, it's not a concern or something we've seen, um, but the great thing is we have some really good metrics and the ability to understand what is normal and what's abnormal. Mm. Um, but the other thing worth mentioning is ads are only as good as the uh, results that they drive. And what we've seen, which is the biggest positive, is that our advertising or our um, approach is really driving results. And I think the proof's always in that. I want to uh, focus on authenticity, because I know Mm. that this is a massive topic as well at the moment, and it's a byproduct of this uh, mistrust. And we can almost take authenticity apart in many different ways, Mm. can't we? And the interest to know how you build it nowadays in a society when there is so much mistrust. Yeah, and also how you define it. I uh, always wonder if it's becoming just another buzzword. 
So authenticity from a brand's perspective or from from in what angle are we looking at it? Brands. Brands. Brand. Okay, so I think let's start with what's inauthentic. So the thing that everyone hates and that always catches the headlines is when a brand tries to latch on to something to take part in a conversation where really the consumer feels like they didn't have the place to do that. So that's always which, what goes wrong. The way that I would define authenticity in marketing is ultimately um, not leveraging something for your benefit, but really creating something or tapping into something which people care about, mm. um, which is a cause that aligns with what you stand for. So I think a really nice example of this, if we look within the last three weeks, is the Nike campaign, which you'll all know. And that is very, very simply, um, dream crazier. So do you remember that? Um, yeah, I was, I was a big fan of the advert. Yeah, I yeah. thought it was brilliant. Absolutely. So, yeah. I mean, if we look at this, the reason that it worked in my eyes is because they have a natural connection and a reason to talk about this narrative. So it got 3 million views in the first 24 hours. It's on 8 million views now. And the three key takeaways for me as a marketeer, when I look at that and dissect it and ask why it worked, is number one, it had a powerful narrative that was emotionally charged and excellently executed. The spot taps into the movement towards female empowerment, which is smart and authentic for Nike. Um, and it works from a marketeer's perspective because this is such a hot topic. But more importantly, it's simply the right thing to shine a light on. And that to me is authenticity. Mm. Number two, the reason it worked is that they amplified their creative message through the media buy. And they did that by striking at the heart of where the Me Too movement kicked off by dropping it during the Oscars. Mm. And then thirdly, they of course leaked this to the press beforehand to build up some momentum. So I think what's really interesting on this topic of authenticity is that brands, of course, have the power to affect positive social change. So I look forward to seeing more brands shine a light on female empowerment this year. But I think what's even more interesting is when we say, what's the next trend coming? What mm. do we need to be looking at and tapping into? And for me, I think the trend that brands need to pick up on is inclusion, naturally including disabled people among able-bodied yeah. bodied people within their marketing. Yeah, it's not something you see enough, is it? Totally. And you know what? It's not just right, but it makes commercial sense because one in five people in the UK have some form of disability. The disabled as a group have £250 billion of annual spending power in the UK. The numbers speak for themselves. I mean, we're seeing brands jump onto the vegan bandwagon mm -hmm. and push out campaigns for the 500,000 UK-based vegans, for God's sake. Why are they not addressing the 12 million disabled people, which they can do in the same spot as the rest of the population? Mm. I want to see more of this. Is it always positive, though, when a brand starts talking about something um, social? So the Gillette advert, for instance, I'd be keen to get your thoughts on that. So, I mean, ev everyone comes from different angles. Um, some people absolutely hate it. Some people love it. Well, very few. Um, <laughs> but you know what? As I go back to the point I made earlier, I'm always a big believer in trying something. Mm. I believe when you do try something, it should be authentic to your history and your story. And I think if you have that authenticity, then no matter if it flops, you can still stand behind it and you can feel good about it and you can know you've tried to push the envelope. Yeah. If it doesn't stick true to your roots, your story, what you stand for, where you position yourself, then hey, you're tapping into something to try and benefit from it, in which case mm. I think you deserve um, to flop and to be <laughs> skewered. So where you fall on, on um, Gillette depends on how you view their brand overall. Mm. I'm keen to know, given your uh, wide and varied history and, and, and many years experience of Red Bull, Sam, how the learnings that you will be taking from that into generate in terms of how you, you know, uh, build a 
a new brand, essentially, and a new service, I yeah, should say. Yeah, not falling foul to advertising's uh, pitfalls. Totally. Well, I mean, my perspective is always the consumer sits at the heart of anything you do. Um, and really simply, if we start with that in mind, you can't go too far wrong. And I think what's unique about Generate and our products and the reason that we're really happy and excited about it is that de facto, the consumer sits at the heart of what we do. So when it comes to storytelling around that, and that's all that marketing should be, it should be a story amplifying what your product is, it gives us something really natural to talk about mm. and be really proud about. So I can't wait, and depending on when this is aired, it will be before we've launched or, or just after maybe, <laughs> um, I can't wait till we start putting out our messaging and seeing what people say. Mm. Um, so I'm super excited. And the way that we'll, we'll do this is by keeping consumers at our heart. I like, I, I want to throw something out there to get your thoughts on as well. And it's sort of, uh, is this something to be said for, because it's easy to, for us to get clouded in this industry, isn't it? Oh, and we yeah. sort of think, how do people outside feel? Do you've, have you seen a interest in advertising uplift in the digital age with, with, with social and with everything else, uh, you know, one, one, because we're seeing more ads, but two, because things like influencer marketing has definitely normalized that because I feel like influencer marketing took off and then people realized, oh, okay, it's another form of advertising, but we're okay with that in a way because I understand a value exchange. So from a user's perspective. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I personally believe, and what we all know, is that there's always different things that emerge, um, and there's always different impacts that that have, has on people. So, in general, any new media will always work really well, and that's because people aren't used to it. So, it's interesting, it's exciting, it grabs attention. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes, a new media or a new format will start off by pissing people off. Mm -hmm. So, if we think back to 2013, when Instagram first uh, inserted ads, and do you remember what everyone said? Everyone said, oh my God, I'm going to get off of Instagram, I hate this. We can't have ads on Instagram. But you know what happened? No one left. Everyone clicked on the ads. Mm. So the proof's in the pudding. When it comes to influencer marketing, I think there's great examples of people who have, going back to authenticity, people that have an authentic connection to a brand telling their story and that having a meaningful impact on their audience. There's also examples of people shoehorning product placement into areas where it just doesn't fit. They don't yeah. care about it and mm. everything flops. Mm. Um, so for me, I think what's interesting is to look at these two things. A, the execution and B, what's the, the format or media um, and there's always different things which change and come onto the horizon so I'm always excited by seeing what's new and what's next and what's the reason it's working. With everything you said about transparency where do you sit on native advertising where people don't necessarily know they're being advertised to or, or so the layman doesn't for instance? Again, I'm always on the consumer side. So from my perspective, I think if someone's being told that a product's absolutely great and it's amazing and it's the next big thing, but they've been paid to say that, let's say it's a native ad hidden on a page somewhere, um, I think if that isn't flagged up and shown, hey, this is a sponsored message or PS, we've been endorsed to say this, that is wrong. Come on, let's go back to <laughs> yeah. common sense. How is that right in any sense? Like, that's totally wrong. Yeah. Um, so I'm not saying I'm against native advertising, but I'm definitely for people being educated, mm. people understanding what's going on. Yeah, definitely. I think you just lose authenticity straight away. Yeah. That might work for like one, a one-off, one quick win. And then they'll catch on and then your authenticity is completely obliterated. And I almost think, you know, if I could put my two cents in, I almost think that that is a, uh, it's a misconception at times. And what? to bring influencers back into it, it's a misconception that uh, greater transparency may not in 
being greater results. And it's something yeah. we've seen, have, yeah, isn't yeah. it, with, with influencer marketing where there was a backlash against putting the hashtag ad because, oh, no, everybody thinks it's an ad. Well, no, of course it's, it's an ad. Yeah, studies have shown, it's, though, that using hashtag ad doesn't deplete engagement. I think I think I agree on you both on that point, and you as well, Sam, is that, you know, the, the respect... I think people have for people when they're being transparent about the messages and advertisers. Mm. It's it's definitely it completely goes in the opposite direction. Yeah, definitely. It? And I do think transparency is something that everyone is talking about now. It's become such a big word, but how many are actually doing it? What does the advertising landscape look like in ten years' time? Do you think we've all we've we've all, we've all this we've given? We're going to take this opportunity to yeah, paint us a pretty picture. Oh, what a question! And that's <laughs> or the, a dystopian future. That, that's the million-dollar question. So, I mean, <laughs> what we do know for sure is there's going to be different medias, which the next hot thing and the next big thing. Will that be VR? Will that be AR? Will that be something else? Will it be audio in the nearer term? Of course, maybe it'll be all of these things. Let's mm. wait. Let's see. Where I hope it goes, though, is I hope that we have consumers being better educated about what's going on. I hope that consumers have more ability to choose what they do and participate in things, such as through products like Generate, where a consumer can say, you know what, I want to monetize my data. Mm. I want to be a part of this. I want to get something back if you're showing me ads. Um, and similarly, I think what's really exciting from a marketeer's perspective is saying, figuring out where their audience is spending their time and attention and leaping onto those platforms before other people do. Mm. Um, so what will it look like in 10 years? I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. um, but I hope that consumers will be more empowered and I hope that marketeers will still be pushing the envelope and taking risks. Yeah. And one other point there. I think what is broken within this industry that we all know is the meaningless metrics that we band around. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you can sit in a meeting um, or, or we can you can promise clients X number of impressions or views or what have you, when we're talking four seconds, four seconds view with the audio off, counting as, as a big video view on Facebook. I mean, come on, where I want to see the world moving further or closer to is what is driving the bottom line business for the advertiser? Um, or the, the client and is this campaign connecting to that mm. none of these vanity metrics so I hope that the vanity metrics all of these things that don't matter and don't make an impact start to fade away and I'm optimistic that marketeers at least on the brand side are starting to become a little more savvy about mm. this yeah. and hopefully pushing their agencies harder and you know what's even cooler when from the agency perspective they proactively say you know what? We want to further your bottom line. What is it you're trying to achieve? Whether it's an install, whether it's a purchase the ticket, whether it's a vote for this politician, it doesn't matter. But they align their KPIs with that finality versus with views or impressions or yeah. something that doesn't actually yeah. move the needle. Our strategy director says the exact same thing all the time. Clients will come to him and say, oh, well, we want this much engagement. And he's like, mm. OK, but what mm. do you actually want? He's like, no, we, we want uh, engagement. And he's like, right, OK, what are you selling? They go, oh, well, we sell yeah. shoes. And he's going, okay, so you want to sell shoes, you don't want engagement. And he has to break down that barrier with them. And yeah, it's very much in agreement of the fact that vanity metrics aren't achieving that bottom line. They can help, they can increase reach, which can increase the bottom line, but they, they're not a direct consequence. Do you know what's so scary about what you just said there? Eve? Well, the client doesn't even know that they want to improve their yeah. business. And herein lies the issue. So if a marketeer, if their priority is hiding behind a campaign that they can tell their manager, oh, look, we've got these 
impressions, or we've got these views, or we've got X, Y, Z. If that is what they want to achieve to try and get a promotion or whatever it is, mm. then we are in real shit. Because actually what that business should want to achieve is just like you said, the sales or what have you. Um, and if the brief that's going into the agency is, I want an award-winning campaign or I want engagement, yeah. oh my God. Because they've been fed that narrative for so yeah. long. It's all yeah. it was in the beginning, yeah. wasn't it? It's like followers equals authority. You know, amount of likes equals success. But we are, I think, seeing a move away from that. Even there's been um, a lot of rumours lately that Twitter wants to remove um, its engagement stats from its platform completely. So it removes the counts of likes and retweets, which is just in testing. It's not confirmed. But if that happens, it'll completely change the dynamic of how we measure success and like the currency on social. I think it's, yeah, definitely mature in, in that sense, isn't it? Is it mm. Like you said, vanity metrics, even, you know, case studies and whatever, it's something we try to focus less on. Like you say, what does you, it actually um, mean? You you touched on awards then, so a client asking for an award-winning campaign, but I know you have some thoughts on awards. Oh, oh don't get me started. <laughs> I think that you should start Don't get me started. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you guys know your, your agency side here, so I'm sure that you're probably under some pressure to enter X amount of awards, win X amount of awards, all of these things. And you know what? From the agency perspective, I can just about understand it because it's important for you guys in order to be able to retain talent, attract talent, win new clients, etc. Mm. But you know my bugbear, the thing I hate about the industry is the amount of pomp, meaningless metrics... <laughs> and inflated egos around all of this ceremony. Because you know what? From the client side as the brand, an award doesn't mean anything to me. No one will go into a shop and say, I'm going to buy this brand because they won XYZ award. Mm. It doesn't matter. It doesn't move my business. But that's not my big issue. The thing I hate is how rubbish most of these awards are. And the reason I say that is because of how they're judged. And let's take one really clear example to highlight this. If we look at the most awarded campaign ever from Cannes Lions, Cannes being the world's biggest, arguably, the world's biggest and most important festival of creativity. Mm. The most awarded campaign ever is Fearless Girl. I'm sure you guys will remember it from yeah. 2017. That girl standing defiantly in bronze cast in front of the, the bull on Wall Street. Now... It was the most awarded campaign ever. It won four Grand Prix. It was lauded as a campaign that can make a difference, as an example of a brand taking a stance, as the best of the best in marketing. Now, can anyone, and I mean anyone, <laughs> name the company that ran this campaign? Not the agency, not McCann, but the company that paid for it and wanted to be associated with this stance. Do you know who it was? No. no. Still don't. No, no. no. <laughs> no. I literally feel like you told us last week as well and I've forgotten. It was State Street Global Advisors, ultimately a bank. But oh. So you know what? A fat lot of good it did for their bottom yeah. line of the business. But hey ho, who cares about that? It won some awards. Brilliant. Fantastic. They're standing for something they care about. Next question, coming back to Authenticity Eve. State Street Global Advisors at the time of this campaign had 12 people on their board of directors. Their campaign was all about female empowerment. So how how many of these 12 do we think are women? Six, eight, ten maybe? One. One. You got it. It's always one. <laughs> really authentic, hey? Thanks, guys. Yeah, yeah. That That's one problem I had with um, with Gillette because I don't think it aligned with uh, what, what they were actually doing. So they have a pink tax on their products. So it's like, oh, treat women better, but actually we're going to charge them more. But I digress. <laughs> 
The it's just it well, it's become evident over this conversation, isn't it? That the move to transparency—it's yeah, it's like, it like, 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 like we were speaking. Connected. Yeah, we've, we've the past few years, I think we've wetted the fields for what is to come. You know, with generate and with yeah. this move towards yeah, transparency. Definitely. I think you're right as well. It feels like the time is ripe because there's all these different areas happening. It all seem to come back to the same mm. stream of thought, where it's you know we want something that's real, honest, transparent. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think it's all going that way. Exciting times. Seems like a good place to leave it on. Well, very excited for you, Sam, of course, as well. And um, we'll, well, you know, depending on when this podcast goes out, we'll be sure to tell everybody about Generate, of course. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Really interesting conversation flitting through different areas of the industry. Thank you. No worries. Thank Thank you for coming on. This has been the Social Minds Podcast with Theo, Eve and music by Pierre Flass.